You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Two years ago, a friend of mine asked me to say some MC rhyme. So I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The rhyme was there, but then it went this way. Took a test to become an MC. And Orange Cliff became amazed at me. So Larry put me inside. Stacked to lack. The strip of Welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter with my lovely co-host, Brittany. Peace, Pipe. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And we have Deja. Hey, you guys. How are you? Good, good, good. How was your week so far? Um, my week's been good. Working the usual. Everything's been good. The weather's been good. So no complaints. Yours? Um, you know me. I've been working on a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot of stuff. I'll tell you about it in a minute. How about you, Deja? Um, same as Brittany, just working and enjoying the weather. Really, um, it was really fun hanging out with you guys again on Sunday at the what was that, Cody? That was super oh my god! Okay, that wait. Was great. Can you guys yeah, tell people about what we saw, what we experienced? <laughs> well. We were in the Cody Rouge area. I would say that it was like a community park kind of slash Cody's like uh, high school football field. And it was just great. It was like state of the art. Um, there was a track. There was um, a pretty nice uh, football field. A lot of like grass area where you could just kind of like um, do your own thing as well. And then... Um, we kind of like ventured like towards the back of the park. And then there was like a outdoor or like workout area that had workout equipment, which was really nice. And then there was also a full court basketball. And then there was like a, like a, in another area, there was like a half court basketball um, court. And then there was also like a, an adult uh, obstacle course. And then Deja, I'll let you talk about the uh, play skate. I thought that was kind of cool too. <laughs> yeah so the playscape was like maybe three stories tall and um I was like uh, I'm small enough so I was able to like climb to the top and just see what it was like and it was pretty cool like we never had like a cool playground like that growing up so that was pretty cool for a kid I was excited for the children to play there it was great yeah. to see kids there too um, yeah, after a while, like more and more children showed up and it was really nice just to see them have fun and engage with each other. So it was a good day. They were there I for a while so. too. Yeah, they were. We they were there for a, lot a while. Of money on that, huh? Yes, yeah. They spent yeah, good money on that. I would say they spent some good money. They they designed it well though. They did a good job. Mm-hmm. I felt like yeah, a was... champion. <laughs> I felt like <laughs> a champion walking around the track. <laughs> no it was awesome and Brittany you had you took like a boxing lesson oh yeah I did I nope. forgot about that that was dope too <laughs> I learned yeah. my stance I learned how to jab I learned I learned the the fundamentals of a stance it's kind of was like kind of like it reminds me of playing golf like in golf 
your swing is all about the fundamentals and your patience and remembering a whole bunch of stuff at one time. So that was kind of cool. Wow. Well, guess what? We have a, we have like a really, 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 really good show today. I'm going to bring my, my two guests in just a brief, I'm just going to name their names. We're going to get into their, um, their bios, but I want them to join our, uh, our opening conversation. So, uh, this evening, now remember we had um, Kier Worthy on here before? Of course. Yeah. Kier and his mom too. Yes, yes, yes. And Ms. Worthy. But um, he brought us another guest this time. So we have um, Kier Worthy. We're going to get into his bio and everything, but wanted to bring you on, Kier. How you doing? Good. How are you ladies doing? Uh, how are you surviving during this wild COVID period? Huh? <laughs> through it every day. <laughs> yeah, and you brought an amazing uh you brought an amazing guest with you. Do you want to tell us who you brought with you? <laughs> show and tell. I think I'm gonna show and tell. <laughs> yes. I have with us today uh a very, very, very good friend, best friend, uh, and business partner, long-term business partner, uh, Mr. Ward White the Fourth, straight out of Dallas, Texas, or Fort Worth, Texas, right now. Metroplex, as it were. This is cool. Welcome. Welcome, Mr. Ward. How are you? I'm doing well, and, and thank you. And definitely, I would just add on to that by, by saying that at this point and for quite some time, we're way past best friends. We, we're definitely brothers. We're, we're family and, you know, for, for life. So that's, uh, I'll, just add, I'll just add that on to it. No doubt. I, I undersold it, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to, um, you know, bring you in at this point because we usually talk about current, we, we usually start about, you know, talking with like uh, folks about current events. And um, we happen to be upon one of the most historic weekends in the history of the world. One of the most important weekends in the history of the world. Um, and this is Juneteenth weekend, and this is very exciting. Um, we're seeing lots of energy around Juneteenth. I, I, I saw uh, uh, Amazon, you know, and NBC, and uh, a bunch of different, you know, uh, wild corporations uh, sending me Juneteenth messages, which I thought was really I, I think it's good in a sense that, you know, Juneteenth is about this mainstream. And I just thought it was interesting as well, having, you know, lived through a period where, you know, people in my family were fighting to get Juneteenth to be, uh, you know, something that was taken seriously. But, um, but before we go into like what Juneteenth is, I wanted to name that um, Movement for Black Lives has an entire weekend um in Tulsa as well as in DC and they've they've descended upon DC to um you know show solidarity but also to be seen and make black lives you know an important part of of this country um in Tulsa I don't know if folks have seen that Trump decided to have his rally in Tulsa on Juneteenth, he uh, named that he moved the date to the 20th, but to be quite honest with you, 
uh, 19th or 20th is the same thing to me. Uh, <laughs> it's Juneteenth weekend. So without, you know, I haven't given a whole lot of context, but I wanted to know if folks have any reactions to, uh, to you know, the, to, to either Trump going to Tulsa or, uh, you know, the movement for Black Lives you know, supporting in Tulsa or DC. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll kick it over to you here if you wanted to name anything in particular. Well, okay, I may be a little, a little wind, long-winded on this one, but Ward and I were both, um, you, know, you know, Juneteenth got ratified in Texas, I think around 1980. And Ward and I were both in Texas around this time. I got there a little bit after 80. And so that, those, between, between Oklahoma and Texas, were like the first real murmurs of the whole Juneteenth thing because those were the two places that were affected because everybody else was emancipated by that time. So, you know, I remember people talking about Juneteenth, uh, the rumblings about Juneteenth. Now, I probably have a very unpopular opinion about Juneteenth. <clears throat> I definitely I like the fact that it gets recognized or it's getting recognized in solidarity, but I actually think it should only really be celebrated in those two places because that's the only two places it was valid. And I always thought it should be a day of of maybe reflection and possible revolution because who's going to, who really wants to celebrate or should celebrate finding out they're free three years later. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to celebrate getting your check two weeks later? No, you're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And your freedom was way more important than your check. So I personally have always been the mindset that it should, if, if, if people are going to riot, that's something to riot about that mm-hmm. people withheld my freedom for three years before I found out. So, you know, this whole national wave to make it a celebration and cookouts, I, 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 I can't, I don't see it. And how do you, and, it's, it's, and it kind of falls in line with how the other team thinks about things. They're willing to give more props or more justification to the facsimile than the, than the original. So I'm not going to have a federal holiday for Emancipation Day when damn everybody got free, but I'm willing to give you the token to party on the day that you got freed after the fact. So that's kind of my take on it. I, I'm like, hey, if people want to celebrate Juneteenth, that's fine. I don't have the same spirit or verve about it because I, I, I'm disgusted. I'm like, I'm just, I'll be pissed to find out later than everybody else that I got free and to know that yeah. people actually withheld this information on purpose. Mm. Wow. And what do you think, what, what do you think about, um, the whole like Trump holding his rally there in Tulsa. You know, that's just his typical insidious behavior, you know, and, and to try and play stupid, like, Oh, we didn't know that is a complete affront to everybody involved. You know, uh, you knew what you were doing and knew what you were attempting to do, but the kickback has been so strong and so rapid and vehement. He had to try and change it up because he was really trying to crap on people. Wait, you broke broke up a little bit. Say that in again. Oklahoma. Say that in, again. You in, broke up. You broke up a little I bit. He, Say that again. Okay, how about now? I said he really was just trying to crap on the people of Oklahoma and black people in general, knowing how significant that day in in Tulsa was to black history. You know, with Black Wall Street and so forth, and, and the and the massacre that occurred. Right. And 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 you know he's doing that. <laughs> Why? So, you know. What, Right. But with the wave of, that's going across the country of, of protest and resistance and people finally just being fed up, 
he had no choice but to change it. Mm. You know, uh, this 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 Black Lives Matter movement, this this um, whole movement of of equality, which is probably long overdue, is 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 needed. It's just, uh, you know, he's a large part of of lighting lighting the powder keg with his behavior and his divisiveness throughout his throughout his presidency. You know, you you reap what you sow. <laughs> and then, um, so I don't know, Ward. Did you want to speak to any of that? Any of the of what's going on, like currently, that you see? Well, I think I think Keir definitely covered it. I, I echo those sentiments. I mean, this is par for the for the course for for forty five. I, I think there's a consensus, and we can all agree on that. I did want to kind of touch slightly on Juneteenth and what Kier mentioned about that, because he and I, we never had any arguments about it, not even a debate. It was something that, but it was definitely something when we were in school at the University of Texas, where we met, that every year we would talk about it and certainly could see his point. And I could see his point from that perspective of not being from Texas. I moved to Texas pretty early on when I actually, my my parents were from Texas. They moved to the East Coast. That's where I grew up in my single digit years. Then they moved back. I moved there when I was about 11. And so you're talking about mid late seventies. And that's actually when I started hearing about it. And I'll just say that I'm very surprised at this point that it is considered nationally because at that time it was very local, very state centric. And to see that it has grown to this point, that is that is a surprise to me. And part part of that surprise is for some of the the reasons and the rationale that that Keir mentioned. And so, I just rem- that's just my my memory of of that. And like I say, to see where it is, it's uh, wow. Uh, and I'm, but I, I think that. All in all, it certainly could be a a positive aspect to it. I think we'd certainly need all of the acknowledgement that we can get in terms of history and the accuracy of history and the significance of it. And so hopefully this will, will add to that. Like you said, not that we overly celebrate it but an awareness of it as Kier alluded to and mentioned it's it's something to be mad about as well so so the bringing awareness to it I think that is in line with with where we are today and it's just a matter of what we do with that right right and you know, I, 
I don't know, Brittany and Deja. So like I'm a Gen Xer. Um, I think Ward and here, y'all are both Gen Xers. Brittany is um a millennial and Deja's a Gen Z. So I'm also wondering, um, Brittany, I'm gonna start with you first. Your like, you know, uh understanding or experience with Juneteenth, is this something that you grew up knowing about or is this something you've recently learned about? you know, um, Juneteenth, the, the history and the celebration? Um, I knew about it slightly um, and knew that it was based in Texas, um, but I didn't really um, do anything collective with Juneteenth until I think a year or so ago uh, when I was with you, we went to, we did a remote podcast at a Juneteenth event and I thought it was, um, I thought it was it was beautiful. I thought it was productive. Um, I thought it was intergenerational, um, dynamic. I think it touched the the uh, the soul for most, the mind for most, and it's nothing like uh, black people getting together. I think that we, by nature, are community driven. So um, I think towards point that you know if you know getting together is is a good thing, um, but you can't refute anything um, that was just stated about the roots of what Juneteenth is. Um, so I would have to agree that it shouldn't necessarily be celebrated. Um, but I think that the reason why it is celebrated is, is because it is something that um, I think people think separates us from the 4th of July and gives us some type of uh, niche celebration, something that can be ours. Um, you know, but it would be interesting to see, um, you know, us be even, you know, more creative and maybe create other holidays or create other uh, things that uh, we can be sentimental about um, that are even more positive. So um, I'm I'm not against it, um, but I'm not necessarily uh, saying that I'm going to go all out, but I, I do like to be around Black people on that day, so. <laughs> so, and Deja, what's your... What's your experience with Juneteenth? Did you grow up with this um, as a holiday or, you know, do you have experience, you know, with celebrating Juneteenth or? Yeah. Um, my mom told me about it growing up, but um, we never, I don't think we ever celebrated it. Um, yeah, actually, no, I, we didn't, but I would spend summers in Alabama with my grandparents and I feel like I remember hearing talks about it down there when I was a child, but I'm not really sure. But I did grow up with it, and I totally agree with everything that Brittany said um, in here as well. But I don't, I don't, like, the, yeah, like Kier said, I don't really know if I feel comfortable celebrating it, but I did make sure that I took the day off work, so... <laughs> And to your point here, um, I think that's why, you know, the movement for black lives decided to do some actions. And so, like I said, there's actions in DC mm-hmm. as well as in Tulsa. Um, the Tulsa one just came up because uh last minute, honestly, because right, right. In response to Trump. 
Like, whoa, back it up. Uh, Can I ask you, what are, what are the programs that are planned for both those those situations? Now, with Tulsa, that one is a bit more interesting because what, what we wanted to do is center the folks in Tulsa. Like, what we didn't want to do is go to Tulsa like, you know, this is what we're about to do here. We wanted to uplift. Um, there's a, there's a, a group there that's called Unified Tulsa, some young Black uh, you know, very amazing, you know, young folks who, you know, are new to the movement. They just knew that they didn't want Trump being able to come there with his rally. Uh, and so we're just supporting them. And what they want to do is uh, a vigil for the fallen, you know, of, of Tulsa. Um, if folks We've talked about Tulsa on this show a few times, but, you know, if folks just look up Tulsa, Oklahoma, really briefly, it was basically where the United States uh, turned its army on its own people and bombed its own people. Um, it started with a lie where uh, the same kind of Emmett Till situation where uh, a, a young Black man was blamed uh, for apparently, you know, some sort of imagined lust after some white woman and, you know, all hell broke loose and this race soldier went to the town and uh, brought a, a vicious mob that turned uh into you know the decimation of a an entire town that had been self-sufficient self-determined black town with its own businesses they called it the black wall street there's lots of documentaries about it um lots of books about it lots of articles about it so i suggest listeners go look that up but it's a very sacred place um and so the fact that Trump would go there is just completely disrespectful. So when the young folks reached out, we were like, yeah, so we are, our action there is just amplifying what they're doing. Like I said, they're doing a vigil to mourn um, the souls that were lost, but they're also um, doing a procession and gathering to uplift the, the, the new generation and the current, you know, energy because over the last 20 years, there's been lots of Black people from Tulsa reinvesting in themselves and raising monies and uh, working to rebuild. And so there's a lot of um, energy around rebuilding that. And so, yeah, we're, we're there with them with that. And then for D.C., um, you know, D.C. is where all of the countries, you know, uh, the political center, if you will, of these United States and so um, the original plan, which is what most, where most people are, is descending upon D.C., but also instead of just doing a typical march or a, a typical protest, is to do these teach-ins, these workshops, lots of political education, also some vigils um, for folks that we've lost to COVID and police terrorism. And so, um, like you've said here, uh, really reimagining what it means to resist in this moment and at this time. And so that's, that's, that's pretty much what's happening there uh, as we speak. 
Uh, and also to they've they've also asked us all to send them our Juneteenth events around the country so that they could, you know, bring some attention to what's happening locally around the country as well, to bridge bridge some gaps and bring some solidarity. So that's it in a nutshell. But I also thanks for taking the, the time folks to think about that. But I want to get into this interview. And I think Juneteenth itself is a perfect segue because You've told me a very uh, magical story about your first show was a Juneteenth show. So I'd love to hear, I'd love our listeners to hear about that show. So I want to do that show and then we'll get into both of your histories. But can you tell us about that? Here? Well, t- technically it wasn't our show. Okay. It was a show. It was a show put on in Austin. It was actually the first appearance in Austin. We were both still in UT in college, uh, by Run DMC. They did a little side date from the Fresh Fest tour, and the show was put on by a brother who's still in Austin right now, very deep in the arts, named Harold McMillan. So Harold McMillan brought these brought Run DMC into a venue called Liberty Lunch, which is like a legendary venue in Austin now. They closed, but it's kind of an indoor outdoor thing. You could take they could take the roof off of it, and it'll be kind of open air. So at the time I was, you know, DJing, I was in college and I was, had done some promotion for a company or two, but uh, I had an idea of doing uh, independent promotion, kind of being the satellite office for <clears throat> all these little independent labels that were around at the time, Def Jam, Select Records, Sleeping Bag Records. There was just a whole slew of them, you know, that were doing rap music and they, you know, the, the whole getting signed by a major label thing hadn't happened yet. So there's a lot of product out there and a lot of little varied companies. So I told Ward about it. I said, look, man, let's, let's, I, got, I, get all, I get all these records from these different companies. They're good. People like them. We could, we could do promotion for them and be like, you know, the Arista or the Warner Brothers office for them because they can't afford to have an office. And he's like, I don't know, man, you know, college students, <laughs> I don't know if it can happen. We'll handle money. And we didn't have any money. So... <laughs> When I, I so I said, well, look, think about it. This is been on there for a while. So, in the interim, me, we find out. Mm-hmm. Kira, let me let me let me inter, interject because I'm I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you your your props here too, um, which are well deserved because that that definitely was was the conversation that that we had, and I and I was skeptical about it because I was what you would consider or call, I was a consumer. I listened to music. <laughs> I loved the music. I went to concerts, you know, I just was regular in that regard. And what Kier was talking about was really breaking through the veil of the box in terms of, okay, you, you grow up, you know, and here are the list of kind of regular jobs or careers or different uh, entrepreneurial paths even. But then here's somebody saying, be in, the, be in the music business, be in the record business. Don't just be a fan or a listener. And it really was kind of mind blowing at that time because you got to understand too, we're not in LA. We're not in New York. 
there was nothing happening in Atlanta at that time, just to also give that sort of uh, kind of uh, reference and that. But so we're in we're in Texas, and for him to have that type of vision, and I'd say there was nothing short of that, as a young man at the time, was just nothing short of brilliance and out of the box thinking. And so he had to kind of make me see this vision and kind of that's so that's where that came from. This was so distant from my reality. He was opening up a new world that he had been introduced to, but for me was just completely distant. And so that I want to, I just want to paint the picture at that time because here we are now, 2020, especially for younger people, they may not understand that <clears throat> chasm, that gap that there was between just being on college campus and then starting your own business and being in the music business, boom, all of a sudden, just because you have the will and the ambition. And that's, that's really what it was. So Kier, please, please continue. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking, we're talking pre, pre South by Southwest, pre street teams. Yeah. Yeah. This pre internet. Oh, (laughs) yeah. This is pre, pre internet. (laughs) Pre, pre cell phone, pre pager. (laughs) Yeah. It was like that. And that plays as a story because what happened was I called up. I knew the head of uh, promotion for Profile, which is the label Run DMC was on, a guy named Manny Bella. I called Manny up and said, hey, Manny, you know, you guys are going to be in Austin. I want to go to the show. So he says, okay, well, give me a minute. I'll get back to you. And like we said, pre-cell phone, pre-pager, we had to sit by the phone and wait for the call back. <laughs> so the call finally comes in. Uh, he's like, well, look, they're at such and such a hotel and, uh, you know, contact their role manager, Andre Harrell, <laughs> a.k.a. Dr. Jekyll, a.k.a. head of Uptown Records, et cetera. And rest in peace to Dre, who unfortunately just left us recently, if people don't know. Uh, you know, Dre is responsible for Heavy D, Mary J. Blige, Diddy, et cetera. So. Uh, contact Dre. He's like, hey, meet me, meet me backstage at the show. So I get there. I call Ward. Ward's in another place. So he he gets there. I don't know if you got did you get there before me or after me? Well, here's here's what happened. You told me what the game plan was, but this was the event. You have to understand that. You know, world was a different place then. That this was special. So Kira told me. This, you know, what I thought was fantastic is fantasy type of thing. Like, yeah, okay, you talk to so-and-so and this is going to happen. And yeah, right. <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a ticket. I said, I can't take that chance. I can't miss this. And so, and, you know, and we, and we talked and he was like, okay, cool. All right. And so, 
he said, whatever, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see you there or, or what have you. You know, like you said, we didn't have any cell phones or anything like that. So if that's really what it was. You know, I'll, I'll see you there. You, right. Brothers kind of had to have uh, just yeah, telepathy. <laughs> yeah, had to have telepathy back then. You know, <laughs> had to have GPS connectivity, <laughs> you know, mentally back then, really. And so that was that was kind of how that went. And so take it take it from take it from there because I went to, I went to the show. I got a ticket. I went in the show. I'm in the audience. He's in the audience. Go ahead. So I get yeah. there. I'm backstage. You know, I, they roll me in. I'm so I'm back. To, I'm backstage watching the show with Andre. Right. And one of the best shows I've ever seen. You know, Run DMC. For for those who don't know, and of course, you know, millennial and and younger run to see though their people know them from you know being famous and they got the tv sh- run has a tv show now these guys were incredible performers unlike a lot of these cats these days you know just have a hit record they don't know how to perform fantastic performer and jam master jay was a consummate dj they had a bouncy stage and so the record was skipped but jay caught the rhythm so well he would catch the needle in midair and drop it back on the beat it was phenomenal so Kill the show. Place is packed out. They they wreck the show. It's over. They're ready to leave, right? So Ward ends up making his way backstage. And so Andre turns. He goes, yo, we ready to leave. You guys got a car? Like, Ward, like yeah. <laughs> Ward at the time had the Fairmont K car. I think people remember those. We're, we're going back a bit. Ford, Ford. Ford Fair, Ford Fair, 80, 1983 Ford Fairmont to be exact. Nice. <laughs> so, Can- canary this. yellow. Right, right. Canary yellow. Exactly. Faded, faded canary yellow. <laughs> so they were so ready to be out. They're like, look, let's go. So you got myself and Ward, Andre Harrell, Run, and DMC piled into his car and we're off. You, you, you got to understand how geek one would be. It would be like if you had, I don't know, Drake and Jay right now in your car, just driving them home, right? These guys are in our ride. We're like, this is unbelievable. That's crazy. So we with, get back uh, to the with, hotel. Huh? With Jam Master Jay's turntables in the trunk. That's, right. <laughs> it was mind, it was mind blowing. <laughs> so wow. we, get to the, we get back to the hotel and, you know, they're like, yo, man, thanks a lot. Glad you made that. So... Y'all gonna be in Houston tomorrow, right? Because Houston was the main date. The, the Fresh Fest was in Houston at the Astro at Astro World. We looked at each other without hesitation. We're like, "Yep, <laughs> yeah, of course." Right. <laughs> we had no intention, but no idea of going to Houston. How we would do it? But we're like, "We're going." <laughs> so finally, when we leave, of course, you know, we get far enough away. We look at each other. We're like, "Ah!" <laughs> and and War looks at me. He's like, "Man." That idea, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was the words. I'm in. He he's exactly right. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> hey man, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and this event took place on June eighteenth, nineteen eighty-five. The year that's we if we consider that the official start of our company. And there was no actually at the time there was no Juneteenth celebration because if there was, right. they wouldn't have had that show. <laughs> And, and 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 also too, I don't think, um, like you know, millennials 
and Gen Z don't have a clue what the Fresh Fest is because it ended before. Oh yeah, yeah. Got here, so we did. We used to have, you know, back in the day, back in my day, <laughs> but um, back in the day, you know, hip hop was. You know, your parents and the music industry said it wouldn't last. It was a fad. Right. Exactly. And so they right. they didn't have shows. When, well, I mean, they didn't have concerts. They didn't have, like, big concerts that had hip-hop. Right. And so they created this concert, and it was called the Fresh Fest. Yes. And it was the, you know, hip-hop at that time you know, there were only a handful of artists that were considered, you know, so major. Yeah, to be major enough to, <clears throat> to sell tickets, right? Mm-hmm. At these types of national types of events. I mean, locally, you probably had, you know, uh, talent shows and things like that. But I'm talking about the scale of like an actual, like, you know, a con. Like a red, yeah, like right. we're talking, we're concert, talking stadiums, we're talking venue, big halls. Yeah. Yeah. And so the and, Fresh um, Fest was that. The Fresh Fest right. was the first actual concert that featured, you know, your favorite, you know, hip hop. Exactly. Artist. It actually consisted of at the time, it was Run DMC, Houdini, the Fat Boys, the New York City Breakers. I think that was, I think that was, that was the bulk of the show, wasn't it, Ward? Yeah, I yeah, mean, that was to put it. Yeah, those are basically the headliners for sure. Right. To put so it in they context, would, they would travel. Context, they, yeah, so picture picture Summer Jam, whatever Summer Jam in your city, on tour. That's how. That's what okay. that was. It was. They were so big dope. on that. Yeah. Right. Good way to put it. And imagine that you imagine that that was the only concert like that. Right. Because right. you may have. You may have had like, like the Fresh Fest would have would have had like you know it would be different possibly in a couple of regions maybe but maybe not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right okay you know and and then the time that they're talking about hip hop isn't I don't want to say hip hop isn't thinking regionally but it hasn't it hasn't really entered the quote unquote music industry as we know it. Right. Right. It, the mainstream taking the mainstream takeover hadn't happened yet. No. Right. So it was more like a I don't want to say a vaudeville show, but <laughs> it was more <laughs> like a specialty. You know what I mean? Like Fresh Fest at that time was more like you know it was very it was a very it was a specialty. Got right. you. Well, to, and to give you an idea, when we we went we went down to the ne- the next day, we made our way to Houston. You know, we put together everything we had to go there, and we still had our our passes from the day before. We had hell getting into the actual show because it was at the Astro at the Astro World. You know, Astro was like Six Flags, so you had to get into the park, they get to the stage, and you know everything else. But this thing was so huge; it was such it was such a lightning rod. After the mm. show, they stayed across the street. All the all the performers stayed across the street at the Astro World Hotel. Thousands of kids were outside this hotel. I mean, so many kids. They had to call the police. The police really couldn't do anything with them. Thousands of kids to the wee hours of the morning. They finally started dwindling me off. But, I mean, they were everywhere. It was a, it was a phenomenal. I'd never seen anything like it at the time. Yeah, because you just have to understand what this was 
to us. As, as you all said, I'll just put it like this. You could hear their records. Most of them, you probably didn't even buy the albums. You had 12 inch singles and that, and you know, it was that, that kind of world. And you heard it in the clubs or, you know, your, your boy had it on a tape or something like that, right. but you could not see them. You didn't even think about the possibility of <laughs> right. seeing them in concert. So that's what this was to us to put it in context. And then here it is. Not only can you see them, but they're playing at this large mainstream venue and it it was just very surreal. I know that I know that sounds crazy now, but that's that's what it was. It really no. was. That was the level that it was on. No, I could I could definitely visualize it and I know why why it, it seems like it's such a different world now because everyone is so close to their celebrity, you know. You get to wake right. up to your favorite celebrity, you get to wake up to their kids and where they live. So, I mean, right. before that, there were like, you know, the Word Up magazine, you know, Double mm-hmm. Excels, where you could like kind of get to know your favorite artist. You didn't even so have Double XL, Brittany. No, there was no. an 80, you said 85, so none of those No, no, there wasn't any. Yet? No, Double XL wow. is a product mm-hmm. of the 90s. Yes, yes, right. So this, right. that, and, and that was, that Double XL is a product of like, Double XL and The Source are products of... The nineties, for sure. Right, the work of like stuff that 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 these guys did to make uh, hip hop be considered a serious, you know, genre. Right. We're looking at right. a time hip hop not considered a serious genre. Like every record right. label at this point is like, this is a phase. It's gonna phase out. So there's no, <laughs> right. there's everyone thinks that that hip hop's gonna be dead in like a year or two. I'm with you. Right. So were they were they not even mentioning it in Jet either? No. No. Yet. No. no. <laughs> Jet, was, Jet was bougie. Jet was That's funny. Bougie. Jet, Ebony, uh, even Essence. <laughs> these were these were bougie magazines at the time. They didn't That's start. So yeah. They didn't yeah. start doing hip hop until the late nineties. Right. Gotcha. They probably thumbed they they thumbed their nose at at that. <clears throat> they, they they were way too quote unquote sophisticated. Oh yeah. For that. Oh yeah. And grown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let me say this, let me say this also. You got to think of it. It was it was a youth movement. The way you have youth movements now. Right. So you yeah. know that groundswell. Right. Now imagine though. Imagine every the, throughout time the clamoring, the desire, the need to follow your favorite celebrity or artist is still there. It's the same, but now you get more. So you can be a little bit more satiated. So imagine then you're starving and you've got nothing to feed you. There's no YouTube. There's no Spotify. There are no videos. No. None of that stuff. So no, they don't even have. Uh, remember, like MTV at this point. No, not, no, no MTV playing, yet. Like uh, not like that. Be playing. Actually, I think I think they, there playing. was actually a controversy mm-hmm. because they had to fight right, to get right. Michael Jackson onto MTV. Exactly. Did he have to? I'm bringing about that. that. Right. All of this was happening at around that time. That time. Mm-hmm. But still, rap was excluded. <clears throat> that they might have been. I think it was shortly after that that they started playing Rockbox, right. which of course was the rock mashup, if you will, Aerosmith. rap record. Yeah. Yeah, that 
that uh, Run DMC had on their their first album, but right, 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 right. That was a walk this way, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. But that was a big deal, and that was the only rap record playing on MTV at at that time. The only, oh, yes. I mean, like I say once again, I, I know for younger people, that's just hard to believe, and you guys are not even probably even paying attention to MTV anymore, and they don't play <laughs> a lot of videos compared to but back then as mtv was that music television really nothing mm-hmm. but videos nothing but music and they were not playing our videos i mean you think about it mm-hmm. michael michael jackson that was a fight to have him on there that was a big deal so definitely yeah, Mike, nobody with mike yeah so nobody we're talking <laughs> about <laughs> was even considered for MTV at that time. This is before Yo MTV raps and all of that. Yeah. So this is like really like pioneer type, you know, history, you know? Understood. Oh, completely. And, and, yeah, to, I mean, to add on and you know, we didn't even know it at the time. No, we didn't no, think not about that. Yeah, and the relationship with, with Andre kind of, you know, furthered and blossomed, which ended up, end up allowing us, once we started our company, to be you know, promotion people for him for his first releases at Uptown. We did Heavy D, we did I'll Be Sure. We even had the demos before they came out. Wow. Well, since you're mentioning that, I want to, I want to like read your bio. Cause like, I'm looking at your, I'm looking at your bios here and they're pretty extensive. And I think, you know, we, I know folks are listening, but um, I'm going to read your bios and then, I wanted to get into, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of conversation about, you know, some of the stuff that you guys are doing because uh, this is all for you have your 35th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a really, 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 you know, uh, amazing feat to have, you know, to be in this business for 35 years, you know, um, to, to have done the things that you guys have done, work with the people that you work with. Like, this is really amazing. So I just wanna, I just wanna read your bios cause I want people to, I wanna read Ward's bio first. And then I, I wanna, when I read it, then I just wanna get a quick reaction from Brittany and Deja. And then I'm gonna read your bio here and we'll okay. do the same. So, uh, wow, this is so exciting. So Ward White the fourth, has been practicing law for over 20 years and is currently in private practice focusing on entertainment law. His clients have included actors, producers, artists, including four-time Grammy Award winner Erica Badu, a comic nationally syndicated radio host and television star Ricky Smiley, hip-hop legend Biz Markey, and former NFL wide receiver Rocket Ismail. He is an executive producer and co-creator of the Ricky Smiley Show, which debuted in September 2012 to record-breaking ratings for the TV One television network. Mr. White is the CEO of ESQ Media Incorporated, a management and consulting firm, and has served on the board of directors for the Juneteenth Film Festival Foundation, which produced the Juneteenth Film Festival. 
He also is an advisory board member for the University of Dallas Sports and Entertainment Department as an adjunct professor at the University of Dallas. He devised and taught a course entitled Principles of the Music Business. We need to take that. Uh, Mr. White is an author of a life asset protection manual for athletes and celebrities entitled the player's handbook that looks like it's very useful we need to we need to sell that book on this show actually um and is presently the executive vice president of business affairs at gorilla funk recordings and filmworks llc he is licensed to practice in the state of texas and is duly admitted and qualified as an attorney and counselor of the Supreme Court of the United States of America and the United States District Court, Northern District of Texas. In addition, Mr. White is certified and qualified as a mediator in the state of Texas. That's amazing. Ward White IV received his BA from the University of Texas in Austin in 87. So this is, so this history that we heard about was like back during that time where he was in the plan Two honors program majoring in liberal arts with a concentration in african-american studies so we can see where you know your education you know actually fit very nicely into your career path um while at the university of texas mr white co-founded hot wax promotions the company that you are here celebrating the 35th uh, anniversary of, a pioneering record promotion company which promoted and introduced many seminal hip hop and R&B artists, including Public Enemy, Ice-T, and Sir Mix-a-Lot to the Southwest region. In 1991, Ward White IV received his JD, what's the JD? JD, Juris Doctor. Juris doctor from the Howard mm -hmm. Law School. Okay, I went to Howard University, so yay. Um, All right. While attending Howard, Mr. White founded the Entertainment Law Students Association and was a member of the Howard Law Journal. After graduation from Howard Law School, Mr. White went to work in the heart of the music business as national manager of rap promotions for Warner Brothers Records in L.A., now that's, I don't know if folks know, but that's like super huge. Warner Brothers is huge now, but especially at that time, uh, amazing. Um, in 1992, he was promoted to co-national director of rap promotions. During his time there, he had the opportunity to work with many notable artists, including Prince. This is amazing. Um, from 92 to 95, Mr. White held the position of vice president of business affairs for Paris Scarface Records, distributed by Priority EMI. I don't know if folks, uh, if you're my age in the Gen X era, you will uh, know that Priority and EMI were very prominent um, late, uh, you know, uh, uh, a distribution, you know, for um, hip hop. All, uh, many of your favorite hip hop artists were on Priority. Um, it was during this period that his law practice brought him face to face 
at the negotiation table with the one and only Madonna. Okay, you got to tell us about negotiating with Madonna, if you can. <laughs> As he negotiated the deal for the first rap group signed to Madonna's Maverick Records. I remember when Maverick actually um, broke or was announced. So that's amazing. From 96 to 98, Ward White the fourth served as assistant city attorney for the city of Fort Worth, where he had a successful tenure as a prosecutor and gained a reputation for successfully representing the citizens of the city in numerous jury trials. And he currently resides in Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm like, okay, don't get me wrong, like, but I'm really glad you're not a prosecutor for like many, many reasons. But um yeah, that 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 what an amazing career you've had. Um I wanted to get our our you know some reaction though from our uh from our youngsters. <laughs> I wanted to see like Brittany and Deja, like what's your reaction to hearing, you know, such an incredible rich bio like that? Well, I think it was like last Sunday, Deja and I were talking about, I think all three of us were talking about like what time frame we would want to go back to if we could time travel. And I think Deja said uh, the 90s, like 91, 92. So I would just say that I'm humbled by like the time frame and the, um, you know, your timeline of what you've, you know, accomplished because both of you guys just seem like some pretty cool dudes. So um, I imagine that you're both hip hop heads, especially being from, you know, doing all, a lot of your work in Houston, which I think is a pillar of hip hop naturally, just because of the artists that have come out of Houston. Houston is known for um, independent hip hop music um, and just a lot of other things when it comes to what um, Houston has offered to hip hop. So um, I'm humbled. So yeah. What do you think, Deja? Yeah, I'm just excited to be a part of a conversation with these, um, what is this the word? Uh, um, I don't know, historic, not, uh, dang, I can't think of the word, I'm so pioneers. sorry, but yes, thank you. <laughs> these pioneers, these history makers, I'm just happy to be here and learn from them as well. This is going to be a great conversation. You had a good conversation for sure before the show too, just learning about them, so I'm excited to and more on air and let our listeners hear. Yeah, this is this is exciting. I mean, the history that you have here, I mean, literally your bio is like it reads like, you know, just a list of everyone's faves all the way to like Prince Madonna, can you imagine? <laughs> um this is incredible. So, I wanted to can you tell us anything about this negotiating uh, this 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 deal with Madonna, like, what is that experience like? Well, I I can I can tell you this that I I had a chance to to meet her during that. She was a very hands on with her her label. She took it very seriously, and she was actually very cool to deal with. And uh, that is something that I I'll, I'll certainly always remember and so she wasn't trying she, to talk you down and get the hookup no she she was no she was not she was very what i would call artist friendly in that she was an artist as well so she she very much was 
trying to be fair and and she was so i mean it was it was a it was a great experience all in all and maybe it'll be in uh, part of my book whenever i write that <laughs> so what is it um what 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 was the project you worked with with prince well prince was prince was on the and and Kier can definitely chime in because we worked on these projects together. We were at Warner Brothers, and and just to give it full perspective, Kier definitely petitioned and campaigned and got me on at Warner Brothers because he was already there. And as a matter of fact, while I was while I was a law student, while I was in school, you know that was because that's. Well, we were, we started our company in undergrad. Then I went to law school. Kierce kept the company going basically until he propelled himself. And you're about to give his bio, but he propelled himself to the next level of being the first regional promotion person for Def Jam, and and then being in the first generation of rap promotion directors at major labels, Electra, and then Warner Brothers, where we reconnected. But basically what I'm telling you was while I went to law school, he was becoming the man in the in the record business. So he was at Warner Brothers, a position opened up and I was able to, f- to fill that position with his support and endorsement. And so that's that's how that came to be. So we're at Warner Brothers together at the same time. So we so that's when Diamond and Pearls, that album was out. Diamonds and Pearls, that album was out. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as you recall, Prince had a record called Sexy MF. Yeah. That was quote unquote, you know, his little underground record or however you want to call it at the time. And so they they definitely wanted they definitely thought that that was something that the hip hop or rap audience would embrace. And so that was that became part of our slate of records that we were promoting as well. So but, you know, and Prince being Prince anything he put out it was all hands on deck this is for everybody and so that's that's kind of the capacity that we worked on his project mm-hmm. so that that's kind of how that came to be and, and how that was and, and like i said you know Kier can fill in the blanks because that's how i got there and everything that, w- that we did there we of significance we did that together yeah now i'm a I'm going to dig a little deeper, but I want to get to some of, I'm like, oh my Lord. No, no. Fact, let, me, let, me, let me throw something, let me throw something in there on <laughs> yeah. Ward's behalf. Cause he, 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 you know, we, we both aren't necessarily the best at selling ourselves, but it mentioned in his bio that he started the, the entertainment law students association at Howard. Yeah. Which still exists and has started, stayed around and started putting out phenomenal talent. I'm not sure if you know who Charles King is. Charles King is the owner of Macro the production company that did Fences and Mudbound, these award-winning films. 
Well, Charles is a product of Ward's Entertainment Law Students Association. Mm. And, you know, came behind Ward and, and has definitely, to my knowledge, given him, you know, his props for, you know, creating that now institution that has helped to lead, you know, this really incredible black talent into the entertainment business. Wow. This is, this is a great, 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 you know, story because, you know, we, we meaning like the general population, we just see the celebrities, but this is the work that goes into like building a celebrity, you know, or building, building a career. So this is a, this is like powerful to hear about this, this kind of work that y'all do. Um, I'm looking at Kier's bio. I mean, your bio itself is a whole podcast. I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. I'm I'm about to read Kier's bio, but I'm gonna read about. I'm gonna read as much of your bio. I'm gonna stop before these quotes. Is that cool? It's not a problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, so we've had Kier Worthy on here before, and um, with your amazing mother, you know, uh, Mrs. Francis Worthy. Who, mind you, took over running Hot Wax after both Ward and I were out. You know, I was, uh, you know, Ward was in in finishing up law school. I was in New York, and then Ward was in California with me at Warner. And my mother took over running Hot Wax in our absence. Yeah, and you guys should go back and hear that show because she talks about those experiences and her history and her expertise, and super, super amazing. Um, but just for this show, so to give some context, and it's going to sound a little similar, but um, so Keir Worthy, are you still New York-based? Still New York-based. As a New York-based entrepreneur, businessman. Spend, spending more time in Detroit these days, though, back, back in the hometown. And former music executive at Def Jam, Electra Records, and Warner Brothers. If folks don't know, Electra Records... Folks probably know about Def Jam and Warner Brothers, but Electra Records at a time was also a pinnacle mm -hmm. label for hip hop, um, especially during, you know, the time of, um, as they say, all your faves. Um, along yeah, with definitely. his partner, Ward White IV, he founded Hot Wax Promotion and Marketing while a student at the University of Texas at Austin. And if folks remember, Austin is the birthplace of South by Southwest as a panel and showcase coordinator for the early years of the South by Southwest Music Festival in Austin, Texas. He created the urban music component of the festival. He is the founder and current executive director for the Organization of Black Designers and is chief creative officer for the boutique branding firm, the Rhythm Alchemy Creative Consultant. And that's your, that's your current company that you do that is correct. work under, right? Yeah. So while a student at the University of Texas at Austin, Worthy partnered with friend Ward White IV to form Hot Wax Promotion and Marketing. Worthy focused the company on exposing the relatively new genre of music known as rap to mainstream radio. The only company of its time doing so. Uh, Worthy worked with artists and groups such as Public Enemy, Queen Latifah, Heavy D, LL Cool J, Sir Mix-a-Lot, BDP, BDP is Boogie Down Productions, which was KRS-One, uh, De La Soul, Slick Rick, uh, to increase the landscape of rap music throughout the Southwest region of the United States. Hot Wax was instrumental 
in creating the foundation for Texas rap industry and the overall industry creation, utilization of street teams to promote urban musical products to the consumer public. If you listen to our previous podcast, uh, here Mrs. Worthy talked about how they actually created um, street teams, which um, throughout the 90s and 2000s was basically of the the the, the main way that um, in hip hop, you know, artists were able to get their product, you know, uh, shot to the to the top, if you will, you know, recognized or you know, be seen. Um, Worthy was named the director of a dedicated rap department at Electric Records, the first such position at a major record label. While at Electra, Worthy worked with artists Buster Rhymes, Pete Rock and CL Smooth, Brand Nubians, Jazzy Faye, Amp Fiddler. We love Amp Fiddler on this show. Um, Deja's a huge Amp Fiddler fan. And Del the Homo Sapien. He also worked to promote mainstream and alternative artists like Keith Sweat, Anita Baker, D-Light, and Bjork to rap's younger audience. He was hired um, away from Electra by Uber manager Benny Medina. People will know Benny Medina because his life story is what the Fresh Prince was made after, and he was a producer of um, the Fresh Prince TV show with Will Smith, um, to direct the newly created rap department at Warner Brothers, where he worked with artists Big Daddy Kane, Biz Markey, Ice-T, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Naughty by Nature, Roger and Zap, Tevin Campbell, and several others, overseeing all promotion, marketing, and advertising for the department. He crafted an advertisement for one of the rap artists that was viewed by Prince who enjoyed the ad and decided to use it for his single, Get Off. You'll have to tell us about that story in a minute. After leaving Warner Brothers, Worthy went on to be senior VP um, A&R of Motor Jam East-West Records and worked with reggae artist Snow, who sold a combined six million albums worldwide. I don't know if folks remember, Snow was a white uh, reggae artist. Uh, promotion and marketing. Worthy also cast talent for the videos of several artists and did marketing for the films Boys in the Hood, New Jack City, and Denzel Washington's Ricochet, and placed musical selections and soundtracks for the movies Trespass, Zebrahead, and Class Act featuring Kid and Play. I was actually in that movie Zebrahead. I was Nibuche's um, understudy and... Um, no way. Get out of here. I was I was I was not only her understudy, but I was also um, you know, when when you uh her stand in and I actually that summer that we shot that here in Detroit, I actually earned all the money that summer being her stand in to uh pay for my next uh semester at Howard. <laughs> oh wow, cool. You know, it's actually a movie they might need to show currently with the with the with the current climate, the current racial climate. Remember that black uh, white together like this? Remember Michael Rappaport? <laughs> right? Like we need to do a screening. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool, actually. That would be That's cool. A idea. So while representing techno music genre, oh, so you know, Kier is from Detroit, right? 
and um you know all throughout this history that we're hearing about your you know that we're reading about uh, and, and learning about you being in um you know the mainstream world of uh, music through um through hip-hop you know you being from detroit you're also very connected to all of the you know the techno cats all the techno artists that are from detroit so very much so so while representing techno music genre creating artists went Juan atkins we all know that Juan atkins is uh founder of techno in detroit worthy scored the most lucrative publishing deal for a detroit techno artist to date and landed atkins a ford focus commercial which led to subsequent uh world tour as chief creative officer of rhythm alchemy worthy has helped to brand a diverse group of clients such as Moe, the Hennessy New Music Showcase, which launched the career of singer Jill Scott, um, HBO, the National Basketball Association, which is NBA, that's Britney Loves NBA, uh, Grand Marnier, Vitamin Water, uh, the American Le Mans Racing Series, and Ice Tech Watches, and worked in partnership with Promotion Marketing Association, the PMA, a century-old professional trade organization dedicated to the industry of marketing disciplines that motivate behavior, activate response, and build brands. Most recently, Worthy has worked on launches for films that Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, uh, the Sex and the City movie, and the Sex and the City 2, along with serving as consultant for a number of small businesses um, emerging designers and independent creative talents. So Worthy currently serves as the executive director of the Organization of Black Designers, the only, um, it says the only minority design organization, but I'm gonna say that uh, we're replacing that with, the, with our rising majority. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> a, a design organization that produces an annual international multidiscipline design conference called Design Nation. The conference boasts thousands of attendees, such as notable designers, Tracy Reese, who is from Detroit, uh, General Motors, Senior VP of Global Design, Ed Welburn, uh, Kevon Hall, and entertainment talents, uh, BET, CEO Barbara Lee, and Drumline Director Charles Stone III. The conference has garnered sponsorships from blue chip brands, uh, General Motor, Procter Gamble, Walt Disney, Nike, Timberland, Timberland the Shoe, <laughs> not the producer, uh, <laughs> Reebok, and, Rain and Range Rover. Um, Worthy also serves as chief executive officer for boutique branding firm of Rhythm Alchemy Creative Consultants. And so um, I'm going to end with your nonprofit work. So Worthy became well-known for his knowledge of the music and multimedia industry and produced and spoke on panels for CMJ Holdings Corp, Urban Network. I don't know if folks uh, know about the Urban Network. That was a really, 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 um, you know, uh, powerful, what would you, I would call it an endeavor. Um, that's really important. Um, a lot, a lot of work. Um, Gavin, uh, Grammy producers, N.A., uh, the NARAS, which is the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, um, Parsons School of Design, uh, the UPN9 TV Network, and a number of schools and civic organizations. 
using the skills and experiences he gained in the music and promotion industry, Worthy also raised funds and awareness for the Special Olympics, the Sickle Cell Foundation, the American Cancer Society, the Phelps Stroke Fund, and Dress for Success. Um, we've done a few Dress for Success events with We Found Hip Hop, so um, that's a great organization that helps. It really is. And then um, be able to enter the workforce. Um, that that's a great organization. Um, <clears throat> Worthy is currently working on sickle cell advocacy, uh, United Nations World Water Initiatives via Youth for Global Health and Social Justice, and revitalization efforts for the city of Detroit, Michigan, via design as part of the city's UNESCO's City of Design designation. And I'm just gonna put the period there, but you guys can see what heavyweight. These are that decided to come descend and um, <laughs> just give us, you know, I mean, I could ask you a question about any one of these people, but could you tell us a bit about this working with Prince? You know, in Detroit, we're obsessed with Prince. So, you know, I'm going to always ask you about Prince. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I don't know if you're really from Detroit, if you ain't down for Prince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, th- I mean, thanks to Mojo, he helped break Prince, you know, and Prince always acknowledged that. Yeah. I think Prince might have been more popular in Detroit than he was at home in Minneapolis. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> My aunt is like the biggest Prince fan. Yeah, if you're a Gen Xer, like Gen X and Prince, like that's synonymous. Oh, yeah, I already know. Yeah. yeah it's Prince sick because he passed on my birthday. What? Oh, wow. Yeah, but it's special to me too. But yes. yeah. Yes, yes. That's interesting. Well, the thing yeah. with Prince came, came about, um, War hadn't gotten to Warner at that time. Uh, but I was working with another cat by the name Derek Caldwell. Hope Derek's out there somewhere listening and enjoying life. Um, I'd written an ad for an actor we had on the label. I believe it was Rappenstein. I, I think it was either that or another. So anyway, I write, I write this ad for them, you know, for the trades. You know, um, and Benny had him, this Benny Medina, Benny had it on his desk when Prince came to see him. And he read it. He said, I like this. I want this ad. So I get a call from Benny. He's like, uh, you know, come, come to my office. We'll see so I go down there. Prince wasn't there then. But he's like, Prince wants your ad. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah. He, he, was on, he saw it on my desk. He liked it. He wants to use it for his single, his maxi single, Get Off. I'm like, okay. <laughs> wow. You know, my, my jaw's on the floor. You know, he had a, l- a little bit of reworking to do, but I'm like, whatever. So I actually, I actually literally have that ad on my Instagram, my, my very non-filled Instagram. Uh, if you go to Rhythm Alchemy, at Rhythm Alchemy Instagram, the ad is there with the coinciding story. Yeah, so that was, a, that was definitely a career highlight. Uh, the other was with, 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 with Ward, we brought in uh, EPMD, from New York to do a remix for Roger, you know, Roger and Zap, Mr. More About City Ounce, Computer Love, California Love, et cetera. So we're on the way to uh, Larrabee Studios to see Roger, just to work with Roger. And Roger's working downstairs, like a studio, whatever. And who was working upstairs? None other than Prince, who <laughs> rolls in wow. while we're there. Wow. This is amazing. Yes. Uh, I always oh, had the good wow. fortune of making it out to um, to Paisley Park Studio while, you know, while you're still with us. I made it out there for a um, 
tour rehearsals, actually. Oh, wow. What is when that like? The... Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely that. Did they have like definitely jam that. sessions or were they focused on the material? It was both. They did have jam okay. sessions. When I was there, they were definitely, they were definitely um, rehearsing for the tour. Okay. You know, it was very serious, very dedicated. And mm-hmm. it was the first time Prince, I think, had used a DJ. And shouts out to DJ Scratch. Scratch was, was the DJ at that time for that, that tour. Oh, if you guys know, I think, so DJ Scratch produced the Jam Master J. Uh, I don't know if you can call it a documentary, but uh, the film that's on Netflix right now about um, the murder of Jam Master J. Okay. Yeah, DJ Scratch is one of the producers of that. It's on Netflix right now. And currently regularly performing on, on Instagram almost daily. Yeah, uh, yeah, his Instagram is amazing. Yeah. Um, DJ Scratch, so you should follow him, but also follow Rhythm Alchemy. So I wanted to ask you both to talk a little bit about forming your company because you're young, you have ideas, you know, you're 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 trying things out, you've got vision, but how mm-hmm. do you how do you take all of this and then, you know, know what to do with it, but then, you know, how how did you both form this company? Was it was it you War, did you say, look, let's let's formalize this. I'm I'm doing law. I could get this done. Like, what would take us through that process of of starting your company? No, I I as a as I had mentioned, this was from the from the mind of Keir Worthy, really, because I did not I did not see what he saw. I just. Uh, I thought that was something that other people did. And so he was the one really that kind of brought it all together as a, as a business, as opposed to a hobby or something that you might do just for fun. And I think it was really just kind of one of those things where you have two people that have similar passions, that have complementary skill sets. Be, right, right. You know, whether that from also, and also just from a personality yin-yang standpoint as, as well. And I think that that's kind of, we're brought together by the common interest, but also we complemented each other in terms of what we brought to a business partnership. Right. And so I think that's kind of how it, it all worked and came together after, yeah, sure. after Kia really kind of conceived of it and, and put the rocket on the launch pad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause for both of us, it was very much learn as you go, kind of fly by the seat of our pants. Cause right. we were college students. Neither one of us had any formal business training whatsoever, but you know, we no. tried to be as, as smart as we could about everything. And as Ward said about complementary skills, he definitely, I mean, we, we, we were very similar in a lot of ways, but he also balanced me in other ways. You know, I'm, I'm right. out of the two of us, I'm the more wild, radical thought, you know, risk taker. And, and he can be very, very pragmatic and practical, which helped, you know, uh, you know, formalizing the business, going in, you know, doing our paperwork, doing our DBA, 
putting things in those sort of orders. Um, you know, he was very good at that. And, and you know, I, I think we grounded each other in, in different ways. Yeah. Which, which led to us having some modicum of, modicum of success. Um, it was a lot of, it was a lot of, if for anybody who, who's out there now thinking about, you know, everybody wants to be in the music business now. At that time, people wanted to, but the, the bar of entry didn't seem as low as it is now. You know, people think today they can wake up, I'm in the music business because I just said so. Yeah. So there was some, there was some right. huge pain that definitely went on. Right. And, there, you know, there were days, you know, we, we went with no, with no grub or, or sacrifice something, you know, a check would come in. It's like, okay, who's got the most prominent bill? You know, is it, is it lights? Right. Is it, is it food? Is it, you know, and the one thing we had to do was keep the phone on. No yeah. phone, no business. Right. Right. So, That's true. So, you know, there was some times, you know, a brother was sitting in the dark, smiling and dialing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Right. So, and you I, know, we, and we, I'll, we, and I'll, I'll add something to that that's key as well, because I remember, and this was really kind of, well, not kind of, I'd say looking back, it was the turning point for the business, for our partnership. Summertime came. And so, of course, classes are over. You decide what you're going to do for the summer, which is to be either going to go to summer school and work, or you're going to work for the summer and, you know, that kind of thing. And so here, that was here he realized that we were at a key point. We had been working, we had been doing this. And like I said, summer came now and, and he said, okay, basically if we can, if neither one of us get jobs, if we make this our job, we can take, we can make this a business. We can take it to the next level. And at that point we had been building this thing and I said, I'm willing to go for it. Okay, let's, let's do it. And so that was that bridge that we, that we crossed where we said, all right, we're going to do this thing. And, but, but that was, that was a turning point that summer mm. where we just, we just did that. We didn't have other jobs. And that's what he's talking about when the, when the money ran out and, no uh dinner was a potato you know for for like two or three days and then, you know that kind of thing waiting for waiting for a check and then and that and the check did and the check did come and we we kept rolling and kept it alive yeah, that's we did, we that's what it was and it's interesting yeah, and too and took that risk it's interesting too because um you know we're talking about you guys are like at this time you're living in texas right yeah we are yes we're in austin and so you know i I think what is very difficult for a person of this age to imagine is you know i i I mentioned that it was pre-internet but you know the ways in which communication happens so like you have you know you don't have you know, this tool where you can, you know, look up as much information, right? Like all of our tools were physical at the time, meaning 
you if you wanted to know anything, you had to go to an encyclopedia and you had to have I would say Encyclopedia Britannica a set of encyclopedias, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Or if you want or you would have to physically go to a library and you would have to get to know right. a librarian so that she could or he could help you, you know, to find the information that you were looking for. Um, and then also too, if you wanted to, you know, find out about, you know, how you contact folks. Like, you know, uh, there's a phone book, but many of these people may not be like the number to actually reach a person like their company might be in the phone book. But to actually reach a person you need to talk to, you know, there's a level of like relationship that, you know, you would have to establish. And not that that doesn't exist now, but now you could hit somebody up on LinkedIn and establish Mm -hmm. a relationship, you know. And you you can see who people are connected to. Can you, can you talk you know, about that process of like how you built, how you, how you were able to, you know, uh, get those relationships, but also how were you able to, to build those relationships in that kind of time? Well, our two, two of our biggest, uh, you actually call them allies or assets at the time were the library <laughs> and whatever magazine stores existed because you know, whereas you have the internet now, magazines were the most current up to up to the moment information we could get. You know, I had um, the first person ever gave me a position or gave me a shot in the music business was a woman named Demetra Mavis. I was at Megatone Records. Megatone was known for the two big that were Sylvester and the Weather Girls, right? But she gave me one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had in the business. And she said, always read your trades and that meant your trade publications. So those are publications that are, that are, you know, industry centric. And at the time there were a number of them, quite a few more than there are now, but the biggest one of course was billboard, which still exists. So, you know, we couldn't always afford to buy billboard. So we just go and read it or go to the library and read it. Unfortunately, being in the college campus, you had, you know, decent resources. We had about what, four libraries on campus Ward. Yeah, three or four, yes. Yeah, so we would, we would spend a lot of time in the library researching and looking up stuff or, you know, writing down, you know, always taking notes. You know, we look at the new the new releases section in Billboard because they usually had, since it was new and new company, especially new companies, independent companies, they would have all their information listed, phone number, address, and everything. And these are the people that we would call to try acquire contracts. And, you know, we we were fortunate to have success and they build, you know, we, we worked with Tommy Boy Records. We worked with Select Records, who, you know, you're known and were known for Kid and Play and Chub Rock and UTFO and Whistle. We did Sleeping Bag Records, who had Mantronic and Just Ice and Nice and Smooth and EPMD. Uh, Def Jam was one of our biggest gets because, you know, they, they, they were the leader of the pack at the time and, and, and remained so. So we got to work with LL and Slick Rick and Public Enemy. Um, and a number of independent labels. We got the relationship with Sir Mix-A-Lot from the same process. Mix-A-Lot had one song out at the time called Square Dance Rap, which we personally love, which is how it happened. You know, we, we, we typically went after stuff that we liked, you know, we had some, some connection to. And so we would either look on the record itself for the information, which people used to put out then, or looked in the trades. So, you know, Mix had that one record, Square Dance Rap, and we recreated a relationship then and worked with almost all his products. And then when we got to Warner Brothers, he ended up getting signed to Warner Brothers. So the relationship continued. And in, in, in talking about working with things that we loved, there was stuff that we didn't love. And, you know, we've, we've missed a few, 
we we passed on Hammer. Hammer had a, before Hammer got signed to Capitol Records, <clears throat> Hammer was having success independently in the Bay Area. So we got sent a song by him, by the distributor there, saying, hey, this thing is blowing up out here. And it was called Ringham, right? And was doing really well for him. And at the time, he was MC Hammer, the Holy Ghost the Boy. The Holy Ghost Boy. <laughs> and his DJ redeemed. Right. But we listened to it, and we're like, okay, this is boo-boo. And so we passed on it. You know, fast forward, it was a year, maybe two. He's he's hammer as we as we now know him. Yeah. But you know, you, you can't get everything, you can't win all the time. But you try and you try and go with your gut and be true to what you feel about things. Mm-hmm. And that's what we tried to do most of the time with the products that we worked with. And we were you know, we were very, very fortunate to get the stuff we oh, we also oh, another one can't leave out Cold Chillin' Records. You know, Cold Chillin' brought us, you know, Big Daddy Kane, Kooji Rap and DJ Polo. Roxanne Shante, Bismarcky, um, you know, Marley. So, you know, yes, Marley, DJ Marley Marl, exactly. Who uh, another set of artists that we end up working with again at Warner Brothers because they end up, you know, as there was a period at the end of the eighties into the nineties, all these independent labels did major distribution deals with known labels, and so they became part of the bigger the bigger label families. Yeah, and you know now. Um, it's interesting. I got asked in the interview about um, what do I think the future of music, you know, in Detroit could look like uh, as a business. And I was saying, I think doing these partnerships and I mean, a, a, a mm-hmm. bunch of things, but I think, you know, doing these partnerships where, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense to try to digitize like the old system, but because, you know, a lot of younger people are more used to, you guys are pioneers in that you were independent, but you partnered. And I think that that formula is, is the way to go. You know what I mean? The partnering so that you get to maintain your, you know, more uh, newer, younger generations are more aware right of like their mm-hmm. rights of like their you know uh the concept of ownership and i think that you what i what, what i'm hearing and learning is that you were very uh aware of that as um you know the way that you wanted to be you know in this business and um you know that formula now is really the su- the success formula as i as i see it that you know just just continue to mm-hmm. partner you know what i mean with 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 uh with distribution <clears throat> companies or bigger brands and you're still you're still maintaining your autonomy you know what i mean and i think well, that's what, i think that's what you both did very well i'd like to speak to two things that you just said and Warkin will probably agree with me and hope he chimes in on it uh for accuracy yes a lot of the newer uh, younger folks may have a little bit more information about ownership or they want they want to do that you know because everybody's on this i'm a ceo i'm a boss thing but the 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 in-depth knowledge of doing that is still lacking for all the information that's available to us there's not a lot of reading going on these days there's a lot of emulation there's a lot of hyperbole you know behind stuff but they don't really know the the intricacies of those things what is ownership how do you own it uh just because you own it doesn't necessarily mean it's good 
or does that necessarily mean you know how to exploit it? Mm-hmm. So there's still a great diffusion, a great lo- loss of of information to really make things happen. Okay, yeah, you know, I put out five records, I got my own label, but do you know how a label operates? Do you know what a label's core business is or what are you supposed to do other than just have a logo and a name? You know, are you making it a actual business? Uh, the other thing is that is important and it definitely became important for Ward and I, which really took us to another level, is mentorship. Mm-hmm. And so it works both ways. All these older cats out there, should be mentors and all these younger cats should seek out mentors because it makes a difference because they can give you information that you do not have, that you do not know about, that you may have never touched upon. Ward and I had a mentor. We have, we've had several mentors, but our main mentor was a brother named George Boogaloo Frazier, who actually was in radio and promotions uh, out of Arkansas and Texas. But, you know, George, you know, Boogaloo may not have been the name. He may not have been Clarence Avant or Quincy Jones incredibly knowledgeable and taught us the game. You know, he taught us how to actually make money doing what we're doing instead of just kind of, you know, treading water. Yeah. You know, you need, you need those kind of people in your life. A mentor is, is, I, I don't even know if we can underscore how important it is. Right. Right. Cause you don't, not only do you not know everything, obviously, but you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't realize that. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not a game. It's a business and it will, and it will cost you what you don't know will cost you. You definitely have to learn those things and you have to be prepared. And that's an episode unto itself, Piper, that really just is. talking, just talking about that. And I wonder because, about, um, because you just reminded me of something being in the, you know, in the industry. Uh, can you speak to having, you know, having mentors that poured into you? Because I think that there is a I mean, people talk a lot about mentorship, right? Mm-hmm. But I think we see mentorship a lot in some different industries. But mm-hmm. I think in the in the music industry is so competitive. Um, I mean, not that any industry isn't, but the way the the way the music industry is competitive. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you know, how in this in this time, you know, how could how could young people, um, I don't want to say ask for mentorship, but, you know, how can young people reach out to folks? Because there is also, you know, uh, what do I want to say? There's almost a divide. So it's like there's still people out there that are like, you know, they might be Gen Xers or they may have been successful, but they're still, quote unquote, you know, like out there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, like, how a younger person, you know, would, I mean, obviously you guys are, you know, approachable, but how would younger people, like what's the process for young people to do to try to, to try to garner that mentor? Because, you know, nowadays people will just hit up people, you know, and be like, yo, what up? You know, and I think there is some etiquette lessons that's kind of missing 
you know what I mean? From that, from like, you know, just teaching folks how to reach out to people, how to, you know, what, what do you say? You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you email? Like, do you, do you hit them up in the inbox and the LinkedIn, you know, because all these different people may have different ways to say, don't, don't contact me or don't, you know, I don't know. Like, so how could you help a younger person be able, you know, to get a mentor? Words like take that? Sure. First, start off here. Don't look to get paid. Realize <laughs> that the pay is the education and the opportunity. That's the first place you start. Don't come at somebody, well, how much would you pay me? Look at it as you're going to school. They're, they're going to educate you. You're going to learn something. That's the value. That's the education. Right. Second, right. I would say everybody's different in terms of how they want to be approached, especially now. I, I think over time, the, at a certain time, you had to certainly have a, a resume. That made, people may not be as strict about that. You might, if you're, if your Facebook page or whatever is, if your social media is set up professionally that shows your background, educational history, work history, et cetera, that might do. But keep that in mind. If, you're, if you've got your social media for the purpose of being social, don't take somebody through that. But if you have your social media for the purpose of making business contacts and creating a network, then you should be set to present that to someone in this day and age. And, and that might be the approach. Uh, it's just going to always, it's going to depend on the individual, but it's always going to be a matter of, of being professional, being respectful of that person's position and their time. And that's part of it. That's why I mentioned the resume, because even if right. you don't have that formally, have something tangible to offer. You can't come to someone, even if you manage to meet them, whether it be a social event, a party, or whether you find them online or some other way. Once you get in contact with them, it can't be. Well, I just always wanted to do what you do. Okay, you're gonna have right. to do a little bit better than that. It's like, what exactly do you want to do? What do you have to offer? And are you sure you understand what it is that I do? So you do your research on that person. You know, um, everybody's busy. Those type of people, especially, are going to be busy doing what what they're doing. So the time that they take out to talk to you, you got to respect that because they don't have to do that. Because at this point, you're not a part of their business. So that would be my, that would be my thoughts on that. Right. And my success, and I, had I think. A follow-up question, which with that one, because something you said about uh, doing your research, like I know, you know, uh, how do you, how would you approach, you know, uh, researching? Because I've, you know, I've seen where, you know, uh, 
you know, you read articles and they say, um, uh, follow the person on, you know, LinkedIn and then look at what they post and then hit them up about what they posted, you know, for like a while. (laughs) And then, you know, don't, don't, don't try to ask them for anything. Uh, you know, just try to, you know, have conversations with them about things they post. Uh, well, though I wish about that. Well, though I wish we had the, I, though I wish we had the tools that are that exist now. Then, because yeah. I've been killing. Uh, I am glad I came up with the air idea because it helped me learn people. You know, okay. I had real interaction with real people. You had to learn to listen to people. You had to learn to read people. So it goes partially goes back to what I said before about reading your trades because trades were information. They told you what people were doing, where they were moving around to their positions, their titles, it's, you know, bit of their background. And you, you took that in, you absorbed it. Right. If I was doing it now, I would do that and more because now I can look up even more information on someone. The thing that, that, that mm-hmm. they gave me uh, entree to a lot of people was the fact when I, I would see them, I'm like, Oh man, you're so-and-so this, 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 and this. And it wasn't to gas them up, but everybody likes hearing about themselves or hearing that, you know, who they are and what they do or what they've done. Yeah. And, right. And that was like, Oh wow. You know who, and many times they were like, you know who I am? Like, yeah, I know who you are. Like everybody should know right. who you are. And I was the just conversation, to say that. Right. The conversation would ensue from there. Mm-hmm. You know, the trajectory I found is, what you know, who you know, then is what you know. It's what you know that gets you to the people who know something and have something and can possibly do something for you. And then knowing them gets you into, into a position somewhere, hopefully, where it's going to be about what you know again, like what you can bring to the table, what you can do for the XYZ company or entity or service or whatever. So, you know, it pays to pay attention, not to just because I'm in XYZ position, and let me say this also talent, real talent and real talented people are portable. They may be in this position today. They may not tomorrow, but they may be in another position again. I got people I've known for 20, 30 years who, you know, at one point scrub, neophyte, whatever you want to call. And now they're the head of programming for a major network. You never know where someone's going to land. So it pays to not only know people, keep in touch with them, but also pays to be nice. <laughs> you know, just be a regular cool person and try not to always make your relationships about what someone does or where they are at the time. Try and make it about who they are. And you're not going to get on with everybody. There's some people who are very powerful that I know that I never got along with and I'm not trying to make it happen now just because <laughs> they are where they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It would be disingenuous. And, you know, they, they just didn't jive with my spirit and probably never will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're wildly successful, but, you know, more power to you. But your success isn't going to be my success. But if we have a genuine relationship, your success could possibly help my success. Right. So it really, it really comes down to paying real attention to people who are in places that you want to be. So if you want to be an architect, Pay attention to, to our great architects. Find out who they are. Find out what they do. Find out how they got to where they they are. What you know? What steps they took? What education? If you want to be a nail tech or you know a cosmetologist, find out who those best people are and how they did it. 
what their what was their trajectory and note who they are. Say, hey, you're Cynthia Miller. You did this, this, and this. Cynthia Miller's gonna give you a moment for sure. <laughs> so what would you what would you say like to a person that's like new, new, new? I saw a post, right? And um there's a there's a guy here that has a one of these um you know hip hop um websites and he did a post and was like don't hit me up telling me you know to listen to your to your music you know get a publicist or whatever i don't know so how do you how would you i mean and that's on the the panel (laughs) that's that's on the artist end of things but i'm wondering like people that want to you know uh get to know folks that do you know the behind the scenes type stuff what 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 does the conversation look like? You know, what does that email look like? What does that inbox message, you know, actually look like? You know what I mean? Uh, be, besides, hey, peace. You know, I'm 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 trying to get put on. Can you help me? Right. You know. <laughs> well, I say I say, and we're definitely kick in on this. I say that first of all, you got to decide: Are you trying to be behind the scenes or in front of the scenes? Because during the '90s into the 2000s it was kind of emerged. People who were supposed to be behind the scenes tried to be in front of the scenes as much as the artists. So, you know, I always felt you should pick a side, stick with it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be the celebrity promotion or marketing guy or whatever. My job is to make the celebrity the celebrity. Uh, I say you reach out genuinely, say, hey, so-and-so, I'm blah, blah, blah. I am looking to be in booking. Or I'm looking to be in management. I'm looking to be in production these are things I've done so far. You know, I've, I've recognized your work with these various people and I've admired what you do. I like to at least, you know, if I could get a moment to speak with you. Mm-hmm. If you're an artist trying to get seen or heard, you know, kind of the same thing. You know, I've, I've, I've done these things. I'm trying to elevate what I'm doing to a point. And, you know, I'd really appreciate your genuine feedback if you have the time. Now, someone like your guy, you mentioned, some people are just asses. You know, and don't recognize that you may be in a position now, but you were that person at one time too, trying to get somebody to listen to your whack ass demo. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, if that's the vibe they come with, you don't even want to mess with them because it's probably gonna, not going to get any better. Yeah. You know, you're trying to find people who who are in line with what you're trying to do, who you are as a person, how you're thinking. You know, that whole get a publicist. Screw you. Right. <laughs> A publicist I'm started has like time or money for a publicist. <laughs> yeah, who, who, who has time? Who has who has the ability for that? You're just starting off, man. We, we went when we got right. started. We ran into people like that. You know, we didn't have any money. You know, be your own publicist. You yeah. know what I mean? If yeah. you gotta be, you can't tell me to go get a publicist. I'm a broke college student. Yeah, right. You you're just a plain ass. That's what that's yeah. about. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Well, I've done a, I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of talking. I wanted to let Brittany and Deja get in here and ask some questions to both of you. So I don't know who wants to go first, Brittany, Deja. Which one do you want to go? Brittany, you there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I'll let Deja have the floor. Okay. Um. Hmm. I guess one of my questions would be, how would you guys, um. Did you ever do like a multimedia company or would you guys just stick to music? Do you ever plan on expanding it? No. Hello? Ward, can you go first? Sure. I mean, well, certainly our 
our the history of of the company was was music based music oriented and certainly we're open especially as things have have changed in the business to multi-platform or multimedia opportunities as a matter of fact when we kind of started to reignite the idea of of the company that's that's certainly where it led and matter of fact i i think uh we had talked about a slight rename just in terms of the description of it which would kind of uh encompass mm-hmm. that potential expansion so to answer your question i mean yeah that's, that's something that companies open for that it just is just a matter of the the right opportunity right and as individuals both of us as as we've gone forward in our careers respectively um we both have done a lot, a lot of things in, in other mediums you know Warriors yeah. has has been fortunate enough to dabble quite a bit in film right and television which you, you know might have heard of it in his bio mm-hmm. i've had a chance to get off into to more film marketing uh, I've done some things, some internet, a number of internet concerns. Uh, one of my clients now is actually a Detroit-based company um, that that's doing multimedia stuff uh, called Encode Media, which is run by Brother Arville Jones, who is uh, illustrator for Marvel. In fact, Arville is the creator of the comic character Misty Knight in the Luke Cage series. Oh wow! So cool. you know, uh, they've got a number of multimedia things on the table. One of which is a a a script for a Marvel film that didn't get caught up in the Disney net. So, yeah, um, you know, and they also worked on, on marketing for a film that's currently on Netflix out of Detroit, uh, made by two brothers, two young brothers, Coke and and his partner. Um, it's going to kill me if I have a brain freeze. <laughs> the, the movie's called Urban Envy and is out right now on Amazon Prime, uh, filmed 100% Detroit. And um, you should check it out. It's still on, still out. Uh, looking to get some more, some more acknowledgments, some more accolades. It's a really good film. So yeah, so we're we're definitely, definitely looking at a number of multimedia things because that's the era that we're in now. You know, it's you know, music is no longer music the way it was. It's not on the black disc anymore. It's not even on a CD really anymore. It's out there in the ether. Mm-hmm. That was mainly my question was just because you guys have dabbled in different things. I just wondered if you would um, do that, but it's good to know that you guys are open to it. That's cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. Can't, can't be a dinosaur about things. <laughs> Not at all. Oh, let me say right here. It's Coke and Chuck. Chuck, don't kill me for getting your name for a minute. Got a lot going on in the head. Brain freeze. <laughs> but yeah, Coke and Chuck uh, out of Detroit. Movie's called Urban Envy on Amazon Prime. Check it. Well, dude, cool. thank you. Yeah. Um, I was kind of wondering in regards to the music industry, um, have you guys ever seen a time where the traveling artist being on the road was affected? Um, like how it's affected a lot of musicians now and kind of would like to know what in, what what some of your hypotheses are about, you know, the effects of COVID and what, what, what 
the uh, music industry may look like afterwards. Well, wow. from my pers- from my perspective, it's probably maybe even hitting harder now than it might have from years prior because the way the music business has gone, there's been a lot more live performances driving commerce and sales than previously. It was a lot more just music and videos driving it. You know, now artists, people are buying into the artists because they've seen the artists perform because your music has been primarily free. You know, you've gotten it on SoundCloud or Spotify or whatever, and you're not going to the record store and buying the disc the way you did back in the day, first and foremost. So there's a lot of people who are outperforming and, and making coin from performing and selling merchandise and, you know, having that kind of hand-in-hand experience, which they can't now. You know, there are no small shows, there are no festivals, there are no arena shows, none of those things. So people have shifted what, they, what they're doing online, at least those that can. And it work can speak to that because he's got a premier artist who's doing just that. Yeah, and I mean, and what's going on right now is unprecedented. And there's, there's certainly nothing to compare it to. Everybody's trying to figure it out. Everybody's looking at what's coming next. Uh, there's an article in Rolling Stone's Live Nation sent out a Live Nation is one of the big uh, venue owners and concert promotion companies. And they just sent out a, a memo that talked about all of the cutbacks that they were going to do in terms of concerts that they would be putting on in 2021. And it's a very uncertain time for something that of course has been always lucrative and a major part of most artists revenue and income. And so it's really hard to predict how it's, how it's going to go. Social distancing and all those kind of things. How many, how close can people be together? How many people are you going to have in a venue? If you have a venue that, that holds 5,000 people, how, but how many tickets can or will you sell? It's probably going to cut back to 2,500. Yeah. And, and therefore, certainly, uh, how much of a haircut do you need the artist to take? Because you're taking a cut in the money that, that, you're able to make because you're selling less tickets and less everything. So right. it's, yeah, I see, I see. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's prob it's problematic there. And, and, but I think innovation will kind of come through, but at, mm. at this point, it's, uh, it's, it's brave new world. We really have to. It's really have to see. It's very hard to predict how this is going to be over the next several months. Yeah, I see two sides to a coin. One of the greatest aspects of music is how it brings people together, but the big detriment is it yeah. brings people together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Right. At time right, we right. cannot be together. But right. The other side of it is that uh, I think I think in, in this in this crisis, unlike with nine eleven. You know, and that was a major thing. Uh, I think in this, cri- this particular crisis, 
we've seen the power of music in a positive fashion, in a widespread positive fashion. You know, it has calmed people. It has brought people together, even though they couldn't be physically together. It is, it is, it is um, been uplifting for people. It has been engaging for people who, you know, may have just been restless or, or scared. So, you know, it, it's, it's been a very strong confirmation of, of music's ability and that it's still extremely viable. So I think, uh, I also think being in, perfect example, um, talking, I talked to Amp Fiddler recently, about two weeks ago, actually. And we were just discussing how being forced to be in and be still is making a lot of people, creative people, be more creative. Right. You know, they're writing more, they're composing more. So I think we're going to see some really phenomenal things come out of this. It's just going to be how it's going to get, you know, disseminated and how we're going to be able to consume it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I have, I'm sorry, go ahead. Piper. No, no, I was just saying, I don't know if y'all had more questions. I have, I have one more question. Um, you know, you, we talked on earlier about the time frame that you guys uh, really got started in music and, you know, you guys are a part of the golden age, the golden era of hip hop and where, you know, there was a lot of activism inside of the hip hop music. Um, you know, even before hip hop, you know, there are stories about how James Brown would, um, you know, boycott certain shows, um, depending on what city he was in, um, as Mm -hmm. part of his, you know, social responsibility. It seems like now with a lot of the things that are going on, um, because people are sitting still and because people are, you know, more aware of their surroundings and what's happening. And just because we, as Piper would say, are in the age of information, um, I, I'm seeing a lot of debate on where where the artist, you know, where the artist stands when it comes to what they're supposed to be doing, and you know, if they should be quiet, if it's not, you know, what what are your thoughts on the balance of an artist and their, you know, and their identity when it comes to providing, you know, music and them also helping their community. Well, I, I think that it, it really, it, I'll put it this way. I would think that before someone is an artist or performer or a musician, they're a, a human being, an individual. So just the same as you would look at the human being, the individual, that is for some, not for others in terms of how bold they are or what statements that they make. That goes for any of us. Some are going to be very bold and outspoken. Some are not going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think if that's who you are and if that's your, your music, then that's what, that's what you do. Make that statement. If that's not who you are, then you can't necessarily be expected to be that outspoken person, but at the same time, do no harm. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you're not going to, if you're not going to be on, on that side, then at, at least don't, take us back 
with what you're with what you're doing. I'll kind of my my thoughts on on that. But in terms of there being a responsibility, yeah, you can always say that because you have a certain platform. But I think it still comes down to the individual and the type of person that 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 you are. But it is a great opportunity to speak your mind and and speak words to power mm-hmm. having that type of platform. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, everybody, you know, everybody ain't ready, so to speak, you know, just because right. you're a talented performer and you know, you know, you're notable doesn't mean that you, you have a voice in the sense, doesn't mean that you're a student right. to speak to certain things, certain topics, and you may not right. want to, you know, and I can't fault you for that. You know, all props and praises to those who have the talent and do have a perspective and ideology on, on matters bigger than just what they do as a performer. You know, we've we're fortunate to have, you know, 30 plus year relationship with Chuck D, you know, in public enemy. And they've been, you know, one of the one of the key leading figures in in being political advocates and having a stance on things. And yeah, you're right. There was a time when we first got into the mix, you know, apartheid was a big issue. You know, that that was a big push by a lot of artists, you know, anti-apartheid situations, anti-apartheid rallies and, and talks and so forth. Uh, you know, guys weren't wearing gold, they were wearing, you know, leather pieces and so forth. Um you know, that was a big deal. There were, there were a number of political battles at the time. That was one, you know, battling for the rights to say what you want. You know, we're battling, battling Congress and the government about, you know, explicit lyrics. Um, yeah, there was a certain level of activism. There was a certain level of, of activist artists in the hip-hop community, you know, whether it be X-Clan or, or the Kim Shabazz, even the Latifah. You know, uh, you know, at some point, everybody came, LL, everybody kind of took a stance on some issues, you know, stop the violence, which deserves a resurgence, <laughs> except this could be stop the police violence, you know, or if you recall, Karis one had a song called Black Cop, which is still appropriate to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have, uh, I think there's a, a, a spirit and an energy of activism in a lot of the young people right now. Um, I think it would behoove them to to not always see older people as either the enemy or have this entitled position that, you know, they haven't done anything because what they've done has allowed you to do what you do now, you know, whether right. you see it or not. You know, um, you know, people ask, you know, a lot of kids, young kids ask, well, well, what did you guys do or you didn't do much because, you know, a lot of folks are living probably better than their parents did, you know, uh, cushier situations, better neighborhoods, schools, cars, whatever. But that came through some work. It came through, it came through the hard work of our grandparents, our parents, ourselves. And, you know, what things that we bring about, we brought about the internet that you, you, that, you know, that you use so readily nowadays, you know, the internet got created by <laughs> baby boomers into Gen Xers. You know, what you use every day, Amazon, Google, Apple, all those things got created by us, more or less. <laughs> so, you know, maintain the spirit of innovation, but, you know, embrace the spirit of collaboration with those who have done things before you to kind of give you some insight. Because, And I got to say this, because I've talked about this with friends of mine, 
it amazes me, you know, I hear these younger cats talk about, well, you know, the internet and doing things differently. That's fine. But why are you employing the same tactics of resistance as people did in 1965? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I would like to see some of that brain power innovation used to battle in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, you, we're battling uh, in almost antiquated fashion, an easy to infiltrate fashion. Look at what Russia did to the last election. Russia did major damage, and they're not even close to being here. You know, we've got intelligent, innovative young folks who are, who are dangerous, lethal on a computer, but they're not utilizing those talents. <laughs> you know, we need some, some co- cooperation, some coalescing of, of, of skills and talents and strategies to, to push this thing further forward and, and not, you know, Yes, doing stuff with your feet is important. But right now, people are operating in, you know, in cyberspace and getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all, like, you know, the stuff that you guys shared is, like, super powerful. I'm wondering if, Deja, did you have any more questions? Um, no, actually. Mm-hmm. And, Brittany, was that your last question, or you had any more no, that was my last question. I appreciate that. appreciate it a lot. Yeah, and then um, you know, this is your this is your thirty fifth anniversary, right? Of uh, right. We're, we're embracing it. We're trying not to feel old at the same time. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's it's powerful, you know. Um, it's a legacy. Fifth anniversary of Hot Wax Productions, like that's quite a feat, you know. And I feel like you know, the, the experience that you both have is just, is just so rich and you, and you, all the people that you've named, we haven't even really dug into like so many people, right. That you've worked with, but even the people that, that, that you've named, you know, and the projects and things that you've been a part of that, that even just the couple of projects you named here, it just gives us just a sampling of just how much culture you brought to the world, you know, how, 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 how much your expertise and genius, tenacity, courage, you know, innovation, um, that you, you know, you brought to the world, you talked about the struggles that you had gone through and just think about what amazing music you brought and, and, and how your contribution has shaped and shifted culture. You know, and that's just, that's just, I'm really honored that you both. Well, we're we're, you know, we're honored to, ha- to be able to talk to you guys and, and it's about some of this stuff. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to push it forward. We are, uh, you know, Hot Wax late sort of went dormant for quite a while while we were doing other endeavors, but it still existed. And I looked at one day and said, you know, we, we, we actually own this intellectual property. Let's try and do something more with it going into the future. So we are. Uh, we're talking about doing, you know, uh, some like some multimedia things, some some internet stuff. Um, we have a, a a moniker that we call Hard, which is hip hop and R and B discussions. So we're looking we're looking to do some interviews with some notables and people that we know, um, kind of doing what you all are doing here in a sense, you know, discussing those legacies and those talents and what people are doing and forging ahead. Uh, we have to do projects under Hot Wax that are coming up, promotion projects. Uh, a thing called Black Gold, which is a cadre of independent artists that we were going to try to tour with, but now we're going to try and have to do something on the internet since 
touring is at a standstill, but mm-hmm. they all have their own products and their own labels and kind of coming together like on the Voltron tip to, you know, present this, this, this thing, out, this entity out there. Um, we are also up on my side, I'm doing, you know, the sickle cell advocacy. I have a, a entity coming up called another worthy cause, which will be about, you know, helping people with sickle cell from an informational perspective, from a, uh, like I said, advocacy perspective for, you know, health and better treatment in hospitals. I love that name. Thank you. Thank you. Hope, oh. it, hope it works. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, been do- doing work with a great organization called Youth for Global Health and Social Justice, something that you know a lot about. Uh, their big initiative right now is, is clean water for everyone. You know, they're tied into the UN with that situation. The uh, head, Dr. Cheryl Simmons, uh, phenomenal, energetic talent who is working. We're, we're, they were working on an event for World, World Water Day which passed in March and got cut down by COVID, but are now looking to put together an event before the summer is over to kind of maintain the momentum around, around clean water, which is, you know, it's getting kind of lost with everything else, but you know, if we don't have clean water, we can't have a movement. (laughs) On this podcast, water is like one of our number one top, uh topics if you look back we've got a yeah yeah i've seen five, it so you need you, water you, podcasts <laughs> i need to make that connection you need to have them on for sure because yeah they, they've done water projects in senegal in chile ghana south africa and yeah it's 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 it's, it's a very serious thing that we don't think about in a sense because you know here in america we kind of take it for granted you get up and go to the bathroom go to the kitchen turn on the faucet you got water boom well and, not in Detroit. There's ten thousand people without water in Detroit. Right. And and right. not in Flint. Because Flint's still living off bottled water. So Exactly. Exactly. So it, it, too many places we we able to be complacent about it, but it's a serious thing, you know. Very serious. Uh, air air and water are the two biggest components. You know, we can kind of live for a little while without food, but either one dose is over. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is great work. Um, I wanna know. Ward, before we go, um, are there any parting words that you wanted to leave us with or anything that, you know, before you go that you want to share? I I just want to say thank you for, for having us both and, and giving us the, the chance to kind of go over our our history and talk about our present and future. And hopefully you'll you'll be available at some other times to, to read my resume going forward. <laughs> it sa- sounded, sounded really good the way you, the way you read it. I, I, I need to have you on hand to, to do that oh, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely appreciate that. That was, that, that sounded greater than, than I, than I remember. So I, I think, you know, you, as a one, like, yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> and then, um, I don't know, Kier, do you want to leave us with any parting words, or you know? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I know I want to. I want to rewind for a second. Something you said about you kind of asked a question about Detroit and Detroit music and where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, I am working on some projects in Detroit with uh, my man Ade Maynard. People know him as Mister Day. The uh, the the progenitor of a genre, they, they dubbed it ghetto tech. He never dubbed it that, uh, you know, he and DJ assault kind of ran the club 
of the Detroit for about a decade. Well, <clears throat> um, Mr. Day is, you know, still has his label, Electrofunk. So we're working on some new projects uh, to be released. I think, you know, there's the potential there to be whatever Motown might have been today. You know, Detroit has, is latent with talent. So I think being able to give that talent an outlet, because, you know, there hasn't been a real label in Detroit since Motown left, which is a shame, considering the amount of talent there. Yeah. You know, you can you can pretty much throw a rock and hit somebody talented while you're in Detroit. Yeah, literally. So so this situation is intended to mine that, okay. you know, uh, you know, we've got some we've got some compilations coming up. We have a soundtrack to the movie that I told you about, Urban Envy, coming up, <clears throat> and um, the re-release of uh, some some projects they've done overseas. So. Uh, those will be coming down before the end of the year. And, you know, my, my, my advice overall is to find whatever your passion is. If, even if it's not music, you know, I think people do better when they chase in something they really love to do as opposed to chasing a dollar and doing something they don't like. Yeah. Not that people haven't had success doing that. I'm not saying that everybody's lane is different, but I think if you can do something that you love, it makes it different. And it makes the tough times not as tough. And I think, you know, for Detroit and Detroiters, true Detroiters, you know, just hold steady. You know, don't don't feel like you're you're out of the big that you're disenfranchised, you know, smart, talented, tenacious, driven, you know, always have been. Just maintain those things and and you know, keep keep hold of what you have and and try and get more. You know, Detroit is still you know, primarily us on the infrastructure. And now that people realize or starting to realize <clears throat> how significant us is, you know, we, we got to take stock of that. We have to, we have to seize this moment where the, the world is rallying around us seeing some, some just do. Yeah. So with that. One, oh yeah. Hyper one last, one, la one last thing just to, a matter of of clarification but I, I think uh when you were describing a couple of things that i had done they were mentioned in the present tense i just wanted to make sure that no one was looking for me in these places or doing these things still <laughs> <laughs> and that is uh teaching the the class i did that no longer doing that and the the, book, though, so they can get the lessons from the book right yeah, and I yeah, and I I'll um I'll try to get you a, a copy since you advocate that I, I appreciate that and and the, the other thing I just wanted to mention was the Ricky Ricky Smiley show co-created that produced that um, did that not still doing that just wanted to mention that just okay. want to make that make that clear but I'll get you a copy of the book yes please and um you know thank you for making resources you know, for people, because something like a book, you know, is something that we really need, you know, a roadmap, okay. you know, how, okay. to, how to do things, because, you know, yeah. you guys came up in a time where you kind of had to bump your head and you've created this, you know, this map for folks. So, you know, the, having wow. books the way that you don't have to get burned while learning how to cook, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Yeah. Well said. 
Oh, Piper, well, uh, since, since, we, since we sat here and talked about mentoring and everything else, and we, we do want to afford people a chance to, you know, tap into us in a sense. So you can find us online. Mm-hmm. We're, we're Hot Wax Promotions on Instagram. With one X? One X, yes. Just traditional Hot Wax. No, no extra spellings. Mm-hmm. Hot Wax Promotions on Instagram. Hot Wax White on Facebook. And if you want to email us, it's hotwaxworldwide at gmail. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna we gotta, you know, get 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 some stuff going together as well. Um and then um Deja, did you wanna, you know, sign off? Sure. Um my Instagram is C A T O R I I T. And again, I just wanted to thank you guys for being on the show with us and giving us all that knowledge and those great stories. Thank you. That was pretty cool learning about how you guys met Prince and everything. And like I said, the advice too. So this is a great episode. Thank you. Thanks so much again. We appreciate the opportunity. And how about yeah. you, Brittany? Agreed. I thank you guys for your time, Kira. It's always a pleasure. It was very nice meeting you, Ward. And um, yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, so um, so with that, you know, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for sharing um yourselves, your stories, your histories, and opening yourselves up uh, you know, in the future. And for all the work that you're doing to um that you have done to bring forth this culture, protect this culture, and the work that you're continuing to do, you know, culture um, for us is very important. You know, um, it's a, for us, it's the center of our universe. It's how we exist, it's how we breathe, it's how we move and identify in the world and, and things, you know, culture makes life more amazing, you know, than it already is. So thank you for that. And um, if you wanna, uh, you know, stay in touch with us, then, you know, we're, we're part of the Detroit is different network. And um, you can find us on Detroit is different.net. And shouts out to Kari Frazier, the creator of um, Detroit. Definitely shouts to Kari. Yeah, doing great things. And so um want to keep that going. Appreciate all the work that he's poured into this network. Um, during COVID, we've not been in the studio. We've been doing our show via Zoom. Uh, looking forward to getting back into the studio once the city opens up. Uh, actually, tomorrow, but uh, we'll 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 probably not go into the studio for right. another month. <laughs> you Take know, one step at a time. One step at a time. One step at a time. <laughs> and also, you know, f- follow us on social media. You know, um, we're on Detroit is different. You know, on everything. You know, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, but also too, you can follow. Um, Piper Carter podcast, because thanks to Deja, we have our own, you know, social media separate from my personal social media. So on Yay, Instagram, Deja. Deja, yes. Thank you to the, the, Zen, the Gen Z getting us together. Uh, so on Instagram, we are pc.podcast. On um, Facebook, we actually have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. So on the Facebook page, we are PC Podcast. And on the Facebook group, we are Piper Carter Podcast. In the group, you know, we invite you to join the group and, you know, let us know, like, what topics you want to hear about, you know, who you might want to, uh, you know, listen to to hear us interview, um, current events, you know, things you're thinking about. And just let us always know, you know, if you're listening, we appreciate all the listeners 
We appreciate, we've got about 2,500 listeners worldwide, you know, uh, for, for, for an independent, you know, media company, that's a really strong, loyal following that we mm-hmm. really appreciate you, you know, all across the world, we get listeners, you know, everywhere, just loving Detroit. So we appreciate you. So hit us up sometime, keep listening and keep reaching out and letting us know what you think about the show. We appreciate you. This has been the Piper Carter podcast, and we will see you next week. Peace. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify.